and welcome to The Executive Appeal, a show that convenes the world's most powerful and successful leaders to share mentoring and career advancement advice to help you successfully transition into senior level executive positions. I'm your host, Alex Trimble, award-winning speaker, author, and leadership expert with over a decade of experience coaching and advising some of our nation's most senior level government leaders. So if you're ready to reach your goals, let's get started. Hello, everyone. This is Alex Trimble, <laughs> and this is the Executive Pill. If you hear me laughing, that's because uh, my, my guest today has already got me going. So as you know, this show, along with all of my speaking, coaching, and consulting services, are laser-focused on helping organizations prepare high-performing leaders from all backgrounds to successfully transition to and excel in VP and senior VP-level positions. Well, if you and your organization are serious about developing diverse and highly effective executive leadership teams, first, you're in the right place. <laughs> this is the place where you should be. Second, I encourage you to visit alextremble.com or reach out to me at team at alextremble.com so we can discuss how we can work together to help you and your organization reach its DEI and leadership development goals. Finally, the Executive Appeal is now one of the top 5% most popular shows in the world. And this didn't happen by accident. It was you who made this happen. It will be you who determines the continued success of this show. So please, 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 if you enjoy this content, you want to hear more from these phenomenal leaders we bring on, do us a favor. Click that like button. Please click that subscribe button. Please ask your questions and comments because the more you interact with this content, the more it the algorithms allows it to be shared with more and more phenomenal leaders across the world. So thank you so much. And now with no further ado, let me say today is a good day. See, today we have the awesome and always wonderful Dexter R. Hall, a 20-year retired Wells Fargo executive team leader. Dexter has held a number of roles within that firm. And most recently, it served as the regional banking manager in Wells Fargo's Texas region with the responsibility of over 80 team members and over $896 million of assets under his management, not including property. With 37 years of financial service experience, Dexter is currently the principal and owner of Noor Kith Consultants. And we're going to talk a bit about that. I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. Noor Kith is, is, is a business and customer financial management consulting firm assisting both businesses and consumers in the reach of their stated American dream and goals. But now, no further ado, how are you doing today, brother? I'm, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much. And uh, so honored to be able to uh, be with you on today. And congratulations and kudos to you in terms of the reach of your uh, podcast and the work that it is that you're doing um, across these Americas and indeed across the world itself as it is much uh, needed. So thank you. Oh my God. Thank you so much, brother. And again, I, I've, I couldn't wait to have this conversation with you um, because it, it just in the, the, the calls that we've had leading up to this conversation, I, one, I appreciate how you've always been really transparent and real. When we have these conversations, you are real. And so the first thing I want to ask you is you talk about um, your organization focusing on helping both businesses and individuals 
reach those, what they define as the American goal, um, the American dream, let me ask you a question. Is there such thing as an American dream? What is the American dream? And, and some people would say the American dream is gone. There is no more. Well, well I, I think that, and, and I would counter that, um, Alex, I think the American dream is whatever dream it is that was set forth for you. And so that's the great news, I think, about being in America and the creation of an American dream. Um, your American dream may not be the same as mine, even though there may be some similarities, but there are also some differences because I'm a different person than you. And so culturally and ethnically, we may be the same, but even in the midst of that, we're still uniquely different. God made us that way. And so what it is that I want for me and my family is different from what it is that you want. And that's why even when we work with both businesses as well as consumers, that we have that awesome opportunity to be able to assess and begin to understand what's important for them. And therein lies, if you will, the construct in the work that you do as well as the work that I do of being very intentional to be able to assist individuals to be able to level up and reach what their stated American dream is. Well, look, look, everyone, I, I couldn't have paid them. I didn't pay them for this. That's a phenomenal <laughs> answer. Um, <laughs> but, and, and yeah, I, I love your answer because it's like, it's very nuanced, right? But as you and I both know, again, you have served in executive leadership positions in massive companies, right? Like you've, you've experienced a, a life and a responsibility that many people may not have the opportunity to, and many people just won't have the opportunity to. Um, and so you have been exposed to what could be because you this, the places and spaces that you've been in, the ideas and so on and so forth. And so as people are, are developing this quote-unquote American dream, isn't it heavily in, in influenced by the access and the people and the experience they've, they, they've, they've, been, able, they've been close to, right? Absolutely. I think you're 100% correct. And, and so, you know, I belong to an organization, 100 Black Men, and, and the theme and the motto of 100 Black Men is what they see is what they'll be. Because again, the opportunity to be able to imagine, and that's why I think travel is so important for young kids, and whether it's across town, whether it's down the street, the ability for them to be able to see the differences uh, within themselves, that, that, that is essential because it allows the eyes to be able to open up in terms of not just my circumstances, but what it is that is going on across the town, across town. And how can I do that? Or it's something that I've never seen before. And it's something that I like. I am, I am, uh, um, which is not stated within uh, any of my professional materials. I've had the awesome opportunity to have an event planning and catering business for uh, 30 plus years. I absolutely <laughs> love to cook. Um, and one of the things that when individuals ask me about dishes and things that I make, it's the creativity that I see from what I've seen on TV, from restaurants that I've been to. And so you begin to try different things. And so then all of a sudden you come up with different dishes. And guess what? A lot of the times it's like, man, this is great. I love it. And then every now and then you're like, oh, I don't know what this is, but I am not serving this to anybody, including myself. And so, but you get those opportunities based upon what it is that you will see. Now, let me go back to something that you said, I think from a professional standpoint, I'm a kid who, you know, I always root myself in, in my upbringing. I was born in East Waco, Texas, um, and I grew up in East Oakland, California. And so by all accounts, um, there's this story that I often tell is that, you know, I've often been at meetings and, you know, when you're at meetings and especially when you start talking about 
some of the social justice work that I've done, uh, some of the wealth generation and wealth building work that I've done. Of course, you have all these data statistics, you know, that folks love to throw at you. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things I stood up and said one time, Alex, is, is that I just looked at folks and said, I am data. They're like, what? I says, I am data. And so when you're talking about operating below the poverty line, 26,400 within the city of Waco, hey, that was me. That's my story, my family. Yeah. We operated below that line. Uh, when you're talking about housing poor, when you're talking about the opportunity for education as to whether or everybody in my family had that potential opportunity. And so all of the varying data statistics that individuals are reading about and they're talking about other folks as if it's in a third person, I stand mm -hmm. up and say, I am data. Yeah. I am everything that you talked about except for opportunity, except for a village around me and some intentional villages. And so uh, I look at it in three ways, um, and, and hopefully you'll appreciate this. Number one, in terms of mentoring, my mom, as a single parent, um, had the ability to be my first mentor. And, and that looks a little bit different. And so what that looks like, number one is, is you get up and you go into school. I don't have a lot of money uh, to be able to help you, but you're going and we're going to figure it out. I'm going to take you over here and take you to this club and YMCA, and we're going to find you some folks who can help you out and mentor you. And so I look at that as that's my very first mentoring opportunity is that exposure yeah. that she gave me directly and through others that she knew. The second opportunity I think that came about for me was the ability to be able to have sponsors. Um, oftentimes we're not in the room, but when people are talking, what it is that they're saying about us, what are they saying about us and, and have we presented ourselves in that right way? And so and I think uh, the opportunity to be able to have sponsors is intentional. I remember one time a senior executive um, at Wells and I had did a speech and it was on sponsorship. This was years ago, maybe about 15 years ago, um, long before folks were talking about sponsorships and the need for it. Yeah. And, and I started talking about it um, with our uh, uh, employee resource group and why sponsorship was essential. And I'll never forget this. And, and it changed my life. And I never understood it, even though. I had coached up and down the ladder. When I say coached up and down the ladder, obviously people below me, people on peers, but I also was coaching Blacks within the organization who were also above me. But I'll never forget Sherry Littlejohn. She was a chief data person, one of the chief data persons at Wells. And after the speech and after the event, she came up to me and she said, Alex, she says, I want to know you. And I looked and I'm sitting here like, hold on, I want to know you, <laughs> you know, because of what she did in her role. But it was something that began to change my life and my story in terms of what it is that I, you, me, everyone has to offer in terms of sponsorship. You, you, oh, man, you're, you're dropping so right. much. So the, the, the first thing I want to key in on is just how important that sponsorship is. Um, and, you know, one, one of the things I work with organizations on is what I like to call transitioning from DEI education to DEI elevation. So, and, you know, a lot of organizations I, I've seen, you know, focus on teaching people, you know, why cultural sensitivity is important. Maybe we shouldn't be biased towards people and things like that. And those things are really, really important. Yes, absolutely. But then you look at their leadership ranks and there's no diversity there, right? Or all the diversity is in the administrative assistant place or in HR, things like that. And so I say, okay, let's, let's yes, we definitely do this education piece let's focus intentionally on this elevation piece. How are we going to be very intentional with developing these mentorship relationships, these sponsorship relationships with these high-performing leaders? Because we already know 
we, you have high-performing leaders of color and other representation in your organization. Um, you're just not elevating them. So let's, let's be very intentional about this. And, but one of the things that I, I still hear people um, saying is, okay, yes, we know sponsorship is important, but you know, don't I need to have a sponsor who looks just like me, right? So they can understand my life and where I'm from. I'd love to hear your perspective on that. You know, that's an interesting concept because even as you talk about sponsorship, one of the things that I talk about is, is that it's something that has to be intentional because this is intentional work and you use that particular word. I think mentorship with the onset of the internet and lots of things, there are lots of tools that we have that are available to us to be able to research and find out different things. But when you're talking about sponsorship, you're talking about a connection. And so yeah. I tend to focus more on the connection because if you're going to be the right sponsor for me, it has little to do if you, well, I shouldn't say that. It has a lot to do with where you are within an organization. But if I'm going to be allowed to be myself and you as my sponsor, are going to learn everything there is about me because you got to remember one of the things that sponsors bring out of people is that there are things that I'm able to say about myself, but then my sponsor is also able to discover things about mm -hmm. me that I don't know how to speak about. Yeah. And so they in turn help me with that, but they will never discover those things unless there's a personal emotional connection first. That allows me to be 100% vulnerable. I believe that in our conversations that we've had is that Alex has found a way, others have found a way that there are certain folks that you have in your life where you can be 100% vulnerable to. Yeah. yeah. That you have no problems with being saying, okay, that sounds good. I don't know. You know, how do I go about doing that? You know, I don't have to pretend to be smart or anything around you and you still continue to help me. I can be completely vulnerable and say, I don't know anything about that. Mm -hmm. You know, what is that? Oh, that's what it is. Okay, I got it now. <laughs> And that only happens when you have the right connection. And that connection transcends ethnicities. It transcends gender. It transcends all of those things because connections don't happen just in those realms. You, you, you know, when people talk about superpowers, I feel like one of my superpowers, which is also my kryptonite, is like, I'm super open. Um, yep. Like, I, I think I was, I was asked a few years ago, like, how are you able to go into a federal agency um, cabinet level agency at the age of 23 and create and manage an executive leadership development program with three programs across the government. And I said, well, I was very confident. I was extremely confident that I did not know everything. And so <laughs> it was very easy then for me to go and ask for help. Hey, look, I'd love to learn from you. Like, what, what's your perspective? Of How could you do this better? What's working? What's not working? But a lot of people uh, again, rightly so in some cir circumstances is they're like, I don't want to, I don't want anyone to know that I don't know, right? Because they know I don't know something, then maybe they'll think I'm not smart or I'm not, I'm not um, ready for this opportunity. And that's a, that's a thin line to walk. It's an extremely thin line, Alex. And I think especially when you begin to look at minorities. And so that's when you talk about the intentionality that needs to be placed with black and brown folks. We're already feeling that we're behind the eight ball and we have to prove ourselves double to everyone else. And so with that in mind, we enter rooms not trying to be the person that doesn't know. We have to be the people that do know because we feel or have been made to feel that we won't be looked upon as favorable if we're the ones to be able to raise our hands. Now, 
here's the thing. And people were like, well, who made you that way? Life, uh, uh, um, our existence has made us that way. And so what do we do to be able to change that? And I say it's not, if you will, on um, your staff. It's not on those who are attempting to climb the ladder. It's on those who are already up the ladder. How do you set an environment? How do you create an environment that allows people to be, and I won't say authentic, I'll say their vulnerable self, because I think people are showing up as themselves, but I don't believe they feel comfortable in being vulnerable. And so how do you set an environment? And so it's up to those senior leaders within organizations. And to your point earlier, even in and around DEI, and that's why DEI works in two ways. And so, yes, it's the education, but what are the tools, or, or as a former mentor of mine used to say, what are the tips, tools, and techniques that we have the ability to be able to give, if you will, the senior leaders? How do you create the space? Oh, we just come in and welcome everybody, and you know, we play a quick, you know, icebreaker, and now we can get down to business, and everybody's going to feel comfortable. Ah, it's a little bit deeper than that. You know, we had a little fun and we laughed because that's what I'm supposed to do. My boss just created an environment and everybody's supposed to laugh. So guess what I did? I laughed. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm comfortable in utilizing what it is that I know. And and here's what organizations are missing. And I know you talk about this even with the orgs that you work with, so do I. You're missing a lot, if you will, of information and insight that I or others on your diverse team members could be giving your organization because they don't feel that it's welcome. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're not participating in an environment to be able to say, huh, I, I you know, I knew that wasn't going to work. I don't <laughs> think that's going to work because I've done this, this, or this, and, or I have this, this, and this as a lived experience. And I've seen other organizations do this, but my boss and other folks are saying that this is going to work and this is the way we should go. And so guess what I'm going to do? Who am I to counter that? Mm-hmm. Because the mm-hmm. environment, the stage has not been set to allow me to have voice on that stage to be able to share, if you will, a different opinion, a different idea. And I will say to any leader, it is not the employees or their, your team members' fault. It's the leader's opportunity to be able to create that stage that allows everyone to be able to have comfortable voice and not feel that they're risking, if you will, their career or future career. Are you ready to bring your DEI efforts to the next level? Introducing Alex Tremble, a professional speaker who combines expertise and entertainment to create an unforgettable experience for DEI professionals and organizing staff. With a focus on leadership, mentorship, and relationship building, Alex is dedicated to helping organizations attract, develop, and retain diverse and high-qualified leaders. From the 12 pillars of an effective mentoring relationship to the seven must-have leadership skills, Alex provides practical advice that can be immediately implemented. Don't miss out on the opportunity to have Alex at your next event. Contact team at alextrimble.com to book the speaker who will take your organization's diversity and inclusion journey to new heights. What's his name? Uh, oh, my God. So I'm going to go philosophical on you for a second. One of my guests recently, um, Sanan, he is uh, he is a executive leader in the in the field of information, uh, information security. And so he works mm-hmm. on anti-terrorist things and so on and so forth. And him and I had this conversation on our episode about free will, right, about free will. Do humans actually have free will? And, and it's a very 
You think it's a pretty simple question, but it's not actually because we are as humans, there are so many things that we do simply as a reaction to things, right? You know, when, when you talked about, you know, is it is it one person that's not, you know, agreeing or wanna wanting to share their thoughts and whatnot? Not really. It's because they've experienced something in the past that have now impacted how they believe they need to act in order to survive, in order to survive, right? To not lose their job. Um, the, the the comedian, I can't remember his name right now, but he did the um, the White House correspondent uh, dinner this year, and he was hilarious. And he said the name of the game is to do a great job, but walk away employed. So he's, right. even he knows as he's making fun of all these leaders. There's a line to walk because you got to make sure at the end of the day, you're employed. So I, I love that you talk about just like it, it, there's all of everything we do is, is tied to and, and seen through the lenses of our experiences. That's, that's what I'm thinking. Listen, there's a Harvard study that, um, which you're probably familiar with, that, you know, leads to and says that diverse teams do better. They perform better. Bottom line profitability is better. You know, efficiencies mm -hmm. are better. Everything is better on diverse teams because you got diverging of ideas. Now, mm -hmm. what it what 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 I will say is, and here's where the customization comes at, and that's where folks like you and I, you know, get an opportunity to be able to work and consult. How do you go about ensuring that those voices are represented? Mm -hmm. Because to the point in which you're making, if you will, it is not free will. And and let me go back and state as to why. If I lose this good paying bank job that I have, Alex, I'm not the only one that loses. Mm -hmm. There are other folks and not just my immediate family, you know, that are dependent upon me, you know, but there are other folks outside of that. My mom was dependent upon me. I assisted my brothers and sisters as well. And so all of that mm -hmm. comes with the success of one single African-American. And so when you yeah. look at most black households, I always say this is that in every black family, there's always one uncle, one aunt, who's, you know, got the great job and who's making money and does that. And that person helps everybody else within the yeah. family. And mm -hmm. so there's a lot riding on that. And so when there's a lot riding on it, the question is, how much risk can mm -hmm. I take? Mm -hmm. Because I don't have anyone to fall back on. In other words, if I can't, pay, I can help everybody else out. Yeah. But if I can't pay my mortgage, there are only a couple of people who might be able to help me. Yeah. And so I really have no one to fall back on because that's not my existence. That yeah. is not the story that I have the ability to be able to tell yet because we're changing the narrative. We're yeah. changing yeah. the story. My kids' experiences will be different than mine because now they have legacy. They'll have a leg up. They'll have inheritance. Yeah. You know, those types of things that I did not get. And so their story will be different from mine, which, again, is a part of my American dream. I want to make sure that it is different for them, but I don't have that as a story. And so yeah. when it comes to risk, I, I can't risk it all because at the end of the day, I'm tied to the need, if you will, for that mm. level of income um, that it is that I've received. Dude, oh, Dexter, you, you and I are going to, FYI, everyone, um, sorry for this one, everyone, I'm real quick to Dexter. Uh, we're going to talk afterwards, still. I, 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 I have so many things to ask you. Um, everyone, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. What, what is your, your thoughts, your reactions to what Dexter just shared? Go on and put it in the chat box. Um, so you mentioned your kids. I just have to really quickly go here. Uh, your presidential daughters, your presidential daughters. Can you explain why you call them your presidential daughters? 
Listen, each of my kids were named intentionally. Um, and, 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 and I'll tell you, you know, it's a funny story. And so we like the name Reagan. And so we always wanted to utilize the name Reagan. And so um, Reagan became Reagan Alexandria. And so we did that. And so then the next daughter, and I had three daughters, and the next one, we loved the name Kennedy. And so we named it Kennedy. And we took uh, my wife at the time, her grandmother's name and my grandmother's name. And so her middle name is Kennedy Anna Louise. And so my grandmother's name is Anna and, and her grandmother's name was Louise. And so Kennedy Anna Louise. And so by the time the third child came around, everybody is like, are you guys on this presidential kick? What is going on with this? And we hadn't really thought about it. And so the one who was really? intentionally named, we hadn't even thought about it, but the one who was intentionally named uh, after a president was Madison, the third child. And so Madison Olivia, you know, and she always kids ourselves because uh, uh, you guys remember the scene in The Color Purple. My name Olivia, but we call you Livia. And so it was just this hilarious scene that we always loved and we always laughed about this. So that, that there came the name Olivia. And so Madison Olivia. And so, I mean, I, I am so proud, you know, of these three uh, burgeoning entrepreneurs that I have. And so, you know, I'll never forget in first grade, this is the daughter of a banker, of course. In first grade, they're having a fundraiser. And I'll never forget this because Erica came home and the teacher had told her and they're having a fundraiser and and they're telling them what to do. You know, the first graders mm-hmm. about how to collect the money and, you know, things like this. I, I don't know if they're selling some kind of candy or something, probably. <laughs> and so my my oldest daughter at the time, Reagan Alexandria, Reagan raises her hand and asks the teacher and said, Miss Jones, will we be able to accept checks as well? <laughs> and, so, and, and, you know, the, the teacher, of course, was just floored by it. And then, of course, uh, Erica told her, you know, it's like, uh, her daddy's a banker. And so they talk money all the time and stuff. So, and you can tell how long ago this was and everything. I just looked as good. You can tell how long ago this was because uh, everybody was taking checks still, you know, uh, back then. So, uh, but no, no, I am so proud of them. Uh, all three of them are burgeoning entrepreneurs. Reagan has her own business, uh, makeup artistry business. She's incredibly talented, you know, when it comes to artistry of making people laugh and things like that. And I call that an art uh, mm-hmm. simply because everybody doesn't get made up the same way they get made up to enhance, if you will, the inner beauty that yeah. brings out the outer beauty. And so that's what she talks about. Uh, Kennedy, my middle daughter, who I'm extremely proud at, she's a uh, rising junior. She'll be a graduates next year from Southern University. And she is uh, in child development and she wants to open up um, a child development center. And I, I, I call it two ways and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so she, she watched her grandmothers to be able to take care of kids. And so she wants to be able to do it with a grandmother's love. And so what did that grandmother's love look like? In other words, when your child you know, comes in the morning, they, they're fed, you know, they're cleaned up. Yeah, and yeah. before the parents pick them up, guess what happens? The child is bathed and everything, because as my mother used to say when she was keeping kids, I don't know where they're getting ready to go. I just need to make sure my babies are ready to go, oh. you know, with the parents. And so yeah. she has that knack. But she also, of course, she's, a, you know, what are they now? She's 20, 21, 22. And so but all the different tools and technology that's available. And so to be able to marry those things together. And then my youngest is a uh, sophomore at Fisk. And so uh, she's a biology major with hopes of going on to Meharry and becoming uh, an MD. I wanted all my girls, I wanted them all to be doctors. And so uh, the first one said no. The second, well, the first one tried and said no. The second one tried and said no. And so my third one, Madison, she, she, uh, Alex, she makes me laugh. And she says, you know, she says, Dad, them other girls, I know they let you down. They didn't do it. But I'm going to do it, Dad. I'm going to do it. 
And I said, you go, baby, you do it. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I, hey, I, I'm just extremely proud of that. See, see that that's how she went and cemented herself in the will. Um, see, <laughs> uh, the other daughter should have caught on to this. It's, it's too late now. <laughs> uh, oh, you, you, oh, oh, that's a, that's a whole nother podcast talking to them about <laughs> death and dying. And, and if I die, what to do? And how do you keep the money together instead of splitting it up? You know, can you keep it together for a little while so you can make more together, then split yeah. it up down the road? Anyway, that's all those. No, I mean, I interviewed um, Sherry Fleming. Um, she is a, um, she is a, oh my God, what's it called? Um, not a financial advisor. She, um, a state planner. She was a uh-huh. state planner, lawyer. And her, and I talked about this on our episode, or she has to, her and her husband have already had that conversation with their kids, young kids, oh. because they want them to know, hey, look, one day mommy and daddy aren't going to be here. Right. Um, and so this is what we've set up to make sure you're going to be okay um, right. versus, you know, acting like we're going to live forever. And then something happens. Like, I, I, I love how intentional you have, you've been with, you know, having this conversation with your kids. Uh, extremely intentional. Um, and the need um, behind it, because if, if, if I pass right after this call, my daughters will inherit some things and they're still younger. And so the ability to be able to know who to contact, what to mm-hmm. do, what, you know, and obviously they'll be able to do different things, you know, that they want. Yeah. And, and by far, you know, I ain't a Rockefeller. I wish I was and stuff. So I ain't got a Rockefeller money. So we ain't talking <laughs> about that. But the little that I do have, I want to make sure that they understand what it is, um, how to be able to leverage it. To be able to build upon the legacy, even for their kids, their future kids, my future grandkids, and be very intentional, you know, um, about it. And, and the other piece I'll say in 2023 and beyond, and where it is, simply because yeah. there, you know, years ago we wouldn't have to worry about everything because every bank statement came to the house, and mm-hmm. so you'd be able to mm-hmm. at least go through the, you know, at least a statement would come within the next yeah. 30 days or the next 90 days. Mm-hmm. Today's time that doesn't occur. So you don't get a statement if you got money on Apple Pay or you got money on yeah. Cash App, it's electronic. And so how do they know that you have this money or where mm-hmm. any money is if you have some type of electronic statements, you know, somewhere? And so you have to be very intentional, you know, these days. And, you know, so I always say you got to get from behind the veil, stop being so secretive. They don't have access to anything, but at least they should know what to do and, and where it is. And so that nobody else gets your money and ultimately the state if nobody ever claims it. Well, really quickly, I know we start we got to start wrapping up, but that, that's the that's one of the things that are, was so huge. When I first moved out to D.C., um, one of the mentors I had, he kind of rocked my world because he was an executive level leader. He um, had had done very, very well in his life. And he opened up his his numbers for me. He's like, hey, you know, my wife and I have a million here. We have a million here. We do this. We do that. We do this. And that allowed me to start learning how how finances work and how investments work and how to put your money certain places. But that was something that just in the community I was in, you don't talk about money. You don't, you don't tell people how much money you got. You don't talk about this because, I don't know, maybe you don't know if they're going to try to get you for it. But I think, like you said, like it's it's something you should teach your kids early on. And when we, our little boy is old enough, you know, we'll have the same conversation with him. Hey, look. This is how much we got here, here, and here. You know, this is why we did this. So he can understand not only it's important to save and invest and so on and so forth, but understand why it's important, why we make these intentional decisions, you know? They are, my girls are shrewd money managers, even to this date. Um, they um, understand the value of work. 
Um, and if they want something, they understand the value of being able to work for it. Yeah. Um, and but at the same time, I watch them. You know, we'll have these conversations and Kennedy will say, well, that I've already done my budget. And so I got this, this and this. And so I got this. And so here's what I'm going to need you to help me with, you mm -hmm. know, and, and this is. And so she'll do those things. And so they in other words, they understand that conversation. Yeah. And so yeah. and I think that that's so important, you know, in doing financial education, uh, which I've done financial education work, you know, my entire life. One of the things that I talk to folks about is, is that individuals are so private about their money. We tell each other everything. We'll talk about boyfriends and girlfriends, very private things. Well, you know, about mm -hmm. who did what and this happened to me and that. But we don't tell each other, you know, about, hey, Alex, I got $3.33 in my checking account and I don't know how I'm going to pay my mortgage next month. Can you help me out? We're extremely private yeah. when it comes to our money. We, and, and it's interesting because we'll say some other things that are very private. Mm -hmm. but we will not talk about our money to other people. And I think two things occur within that. Number one, I think, as my pastor used to always say, is, is your hand is so closed that you don't know when to receive. And so because mm -hmm. your fist is so closed, so you got to open up to have the opportunity to be able to receive because there may be somebody there that's waiting to bless you. It's like, oh, you need another stream of income. I could yeah. use some help with this. Do you know how to do this? Mm -hmm. And so there's another opportunity that exists and or another opportunity for you to be able to enhance and grow what it is that you have. Just like yeah. with most money portfolios, you know, managers will tell you, is, is that you want a stock portfolio? You don't need a million dollars to start off very small. You know yeah. what I mean? Set aside 50 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month, you know, invest it into an EFT or something like that or a mutual fund and just keep it going. You know, just keep it going and don't stop it. Out of sight, out of mind. Max out your 401ks, you know, because now guess what? It's pre-tax. You don't see it and very little changes within your check. And so mm -hmm. you give folks those different tips and stuff and all of a sudden you begin to realize. And, and once again, and I'll say this, even as it comes to all people are needed, but even when it comes to minorities, it is something because these have not been our conversations because we haven't had yeah, it. Yeah. Let's be clear. We haven't had it to have that mm -hmm. conversation mm -hmm. in all instances. And mm -hmm. so now it does need to be our conversation so that we can ensure that we have it. We understand where to get it, how to make it, how to keep it and how to grow yeah. it. Last thing I'll say, that I know we got to wrap up because you got to jump on the, the, the line with um, the, the CEO of Goldman Sachs really soon. I, <laughs> I, I can say not only are those two reasons that you share is really important for you to, 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 to maybe not have such a clenched fist in regards to communicating and talking about money. Also, you can teach other people like me and the, the group of guys that I, I talk to, like my, my close friends, we share numbers. And we're just like, hey, you know, we got this over here. I got this over here. I got this over here. And what happens is I, when I hear, you know, I'm just going to use someone's name, Jason. When I hear Jason say, oh, they had, they have this much money over here. And this much over here. I'm like, oh, why did you do that? Oh, because X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, oh, shoot. I hadn't thought about that. So exactly. I learned I do something different. Or if, if, I, if I'm moving money and, and, and finances in certain, in certain way, and they say, hold on, why did you do that? I, I hadn't heard about that before. And we, we all learn together when we're willing to have these conversations and we're all moving. Um, Dexter, just thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I, I, I really appreciate you so much. I want to open the floor again to you. Is there anything you'd like to share with our audience as we, we begin to wrap up? You know, Alex, um, thank you, first of all, so much for uh, having me, you know, with this. And, you know, I'm a lifelong learner. And so even as you talk, folks are always asking, you know, what's your learning styles and things like that. And so I have a page full of notes, even for just from things that you said you know, um, on today and from the conversation, because it continues to make you think 
you know, about it. And so one of the things that comes to mind, number one is, is the need for mentorship, sponsorship, but the intentionality that organizations must do it at. And so it is not enough to just caretake programs or initiatives such as that, but there needs to be some intentionality. That's where great consultants come into play who've been in these fields, who've been on the opposite sides, both sides, if you will, of the table, you know, to be able to assist. And so, because again, what you're talking about is sustainability of your organization. And so how are you going to continue to grow and enhance, if you will, your organization itself? The other piece, you know, you talked about, even from a DEI perspective, I think you talked about DEI education versus DEI, uh, DEI education versus DEI elevation. See, I got that from you, sir. And so <laughs> you, you talked about that. And one of the things that it reminded me of is, is that uh, employee resource groups, you know, mm. and, and the missed opportunity that many organizations and corporations have, they have invested money into employee resource groups. And I always consider it to be the most underutilized business opportunity to be able to grow. And I said business, I should say business line to be able to help grow a business is employee resource groups because employee resource groups are America. And yeah. so you basically have the conundrums, all of the ups and downs, ills and ills, uh, you know, the ups and downs of America sitting right within your company. And so, yes, it's great that employee resource groups take the lead on cultural, cultural uh, uh, celebrations and things like that. But I also work with, and I know you do too, organizations to make sure that they're not missing the business opportunity yeah. that exists with employee resource groups, not only in terms of your next leaders, not only in terms of recruitment, not only in terms of being able to retain top talent, retain and grow top talent, mm -hmm. but not only from that, but also the opportunity to be able to expand, if you will, your customer base um, and to reach new markets that you're trying to reach, that all of these things with the right opportunities, you know, to be able to work in with uh, employee resource groups. And so that that just hit me in some of the work that I've done and some of the work that I do when you were talking about DEI education, because it's great to know all of these things. But the elevation piece is, is that now you understand the business opportunity that is behind uh, DEI um, itself. And so there's certainly a huge opportunity to be able to grow businesses through the use uh, of data from DEI, but the creation, if you will, of the tips, tools, and techniques, the business operation guide to DEI. Oh, goodness gracious, you are so amazing. Let's go. <laughs> I can't wait to continue our conversation. Look, if anyone, if you found, what, what do you think about that last thing this Dexter just shared? Look, please, I'd like to hear what you thought and your, and your ideas and, and feel free to challenge them in the comment section. We want to hear, we really want to hear from you. And at the end of the day, you know what I'm about to go with this. Uh, if you found anything of value in today's conversation, don't just look back. Don't say that person over here should have should have been here. Don't, don't say your friend, your, your colleague, they would have benefited from this, but they weren't here. Don't just look back, reach back, bring them to the table. And more importantly, bring this content to them. Click the share, click the like. Make sure you share this link with someone at least once or twice today, because I promise you, if you found something of value from this episode, promise you the people you care about are also going to feel find something valuable from this episode. So I'd like to say thank you to Dexter again for being here. Thank you for everyone for listening and continuing to going on this, this, this learning journey with us. And as always, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving. See ya.
Thanks for listening to The Executive Appeal with Alex Trumbull. I invite you to follow The Executive Appeal wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow me, your host, Alex Trumbull, across all socials or via email for exclusive webinars, courses, and speaking engagements on continued topics of executive leadership. So until next time, stay strong, stay positive, and definitely stay moving.